This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Jonah. To the book of Jonah. Looking forward to our second week here. And since so many knew, I'll say this again. If you can't find Jonah, it's just right after Obadiah. So just go there, and it's right there. You'll find it. This is our second week, looking forward to what God has in store for us. I just, I just love the way in which God, by his grace, leads us to certain places in this word for certain seasons. And I'm confident that this is the word for the season. And God has a lot to say to us. Sometimes a story becomes so familiar to us, we really have to forget it in order to hear it again. It's almost impossible to do, but... It can be where a story has been heard so many times, it just doesn't as mean as much to us or doesn't have as much effect upon our lives. And that is certainly true with the book of Jonah, one of the most familiar stories in all of the Word of God, but one that is often misunderstood. And as a result, we have a hard time looking at what's really there. And one of the things that we have to be careful of is that we got to make sure that when we jump into the book of Jonah, when we see Jonah and the rebellious prophet and we see him run from God and we see the presence of the big whale, that we don't miss the main character of the book. Because the main character of the book is not Jonah and the main character of the book is not the whale. It's not even the king of Nineveh. The main character in the book of Jonah is God himself. And the first thing we are to see when we open up the book of Jonah is God. It is the word of the Lord. And that word of the Lord is not just giving a command. That word of the Lord is revealing God's heart. You see, every command, every line, every word in scripture is saying to us something about who God is. And what he loves and what matters to him and what's important to him. And so it is behind this command that God gives Jonah is a God who wants us to see something and wants us to be shocked by something. If the first thing we're to see is God, then the first feeling we're to have is that of shock. We are supposed to read this command that says in verse 2, Arise and go to Nineveh and immediately be shocked by the mercy of God. That God would send a prophet to the most godless and vile and pagan and idolatrous and violent angry people known to man. The Israelites in many ways were terrified of the Assyrians where Nineveh was. They knew that the Assyrians had this reputation of being a brutal people who were one day going to come and take over Israel. And so they didn't want anything to do with them. They certainly didn't want them to be saved. And God, in a very surprising and shocking way, says, I have mercy for the people of Nineveh, and Jonah, I want you to go. But the hope in walking through this book would be that we would not only be shocked by God's mercy to Nineveh, but we would be shocked by God's mercy to us. You see, we want to make sure that we're not like the religious leader, the Pharisee in Luke 18, who walks into a temple one day and sees a tax collector and then offers this prayer to the Lord, Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like that man. And I don't know why it is, but it happened in Jonah's day and it happened in Jesus's day and it still happens in our day that for some reason we have this constant tendency to become self-righteous and to think that we might deserve mercy more than somebody else. 
But there's something really holy and really happy and really incredible that happens in a people of God. Something incredible that happens in a church when God reminds everyone in the church that we too are simply recipients of the mercy of God and we are undeserving. All of us like sinners have gone astray and sheep have gone astray and God has extended his mercy to us. And if you want to see a church begin to pray... And if you want to see a church begin to shout, and if you want to see the church begin to be responsive in worship, it's when the church understands that they have received the mercy of God. And that is the hope and the prayer that God would allow us to see that. What happened with Jonah is that when he heard the shocking revelation of God's mercy, he didn't like what he saw. He didn't want to have anything to do with that. He felt that he deserved it, but he didn't think that Nineveh deserved it. And so his response was to run. He ran from the mercy of God. And as you know, things didn't go very well. We're going to be focusing this morning on verses 3 through 6. But I want to read 1 through 16 so we get the, series, uh, we get the text in mind. If you're there in Jonah 1, say amen. It says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from, and what is your country, and what people are you? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down from us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down, for I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, and they could not, for the sea grew more and more raging against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, listen, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. There's a lot of hurling in this text, if you noticed. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now it's at this moment in which we want to immediately ask the question, why? Because we love the question, why? We always want to know why. 
We began asking the question why when we're kids, and then we ask it when we're teenagers, and then we ask it when we're adults. We just always ask the question why. This is the honest truth. Right before the service today, I went and greeted uh, a little friend of mine, and uh, she looked at me, and she said, why don't you have any hair? <laughs> it's a fair question. And I looked right back at her and said, male pattern baldness, and just walked away. I didn't have any other answer. That's just, I don't know. That's just why. I mean, stress, I don't know. Uh... Kids are always asking why. They love to ask the question why. And, and then when, when kids become teenagers, they keep asking why. Why are you guys the worst? Why won't you let us do anything? Why can't I go with my friends? Why can't I have a phone? Why can't I stay up late? Why? Everyone wants to know why. And then when we get older, we keep asking the why questions. They're just maybe a little bit more intense. Lord, why me? And why this? And why now? Why, Lord? Why, why have you done this to me? Why have you allowed this to happen to me? Lord, why has my life gone this way? We always want to know why. But have you noticed that oftentimes the last question God ever answers is the question, why? Sometimes we never get the answer to the question, why? And that's exactly what happens in the book of Jonah. We want to know why so bad. And it's not until chapter 4, at the very end of the story, that Jonah tells us why. But the reason God so often withholds the answer to the question why is because if we got that answered immediately, we probably wouldn't ask any more questions. And in every one of our situations, no matter what has caused the situation, God wants to speak to us and he wants to say things to us. In our best moments, in our hardest moments, in our darkest moments, God is always trying to speak. And sometimes God knows that if he withholds the answer to why, we'll begin to ask other questions. And that's exactly what happens. Because in Jonah chapter 1, if we knew the answer why Jonah ran, we might have a tendency to think, well... This is only about those who run for this reason. But the reason Jonah 1 doesn't have an answer is because it wants us to know that no matter why you run, running from God is a terrible idea. Running from God is a terrible idea. Say, it's a terrible idea. It is a terrible idea to run from the Lord. And so Jonah 1 serves us right here just to remind us of why we shouldn't run from God. And there are... Three groups of people I'm specifically burdened for this morning. First, I'm burdened for those who have not yet, but will soon be given an opportunity to run from the Lord. Like my children and your children and maybe many of the college students in the room. Those who may up to this point have not run from God. You have not been rebellious to God. You've stayed pretty close. But because of circumstances and because things that you're going to be exposed to, you will soon be tempted to run from God. And I want you to hear this word to be reminded what a bad idea that is. And I agree that the book of Jonah is a wonderful story for kids. But it's not because Jonah got vomited up by a whale. It's because one of the greatest lessons we can teach any kid and any middle school student and any high school student and any college student is that it is always a bad idea to run from God. That God always has our best in mind and his word is always right and his heart is always good and everything he calls us to, even if it's hard, is always leading us to life and everything else leads us to death. So I'm burdened for those. I'm also burdened for those of you who may be more openly and loudly and proudly running from God and everyone knows it. And some of you are here today. 
You're here because mom and dad made you come. You're here because you got invited and you're with a friend. You may not even know why you're here. You're just here this morning. And you're just walking away from the Lord. And maybe you've never followed the Lord. And maybe you're not even trying to hide the fact that you're not following the Lord. You're just running from God. I'm burdened for you. But I'm also burdened for those of you who may be more quietly running from the Lord. You may be like those that Jesus talks about, that with their mouths they confess me, but their heart is far from me. It could be that no one knows that you're running from God but you. But you are and may have been for some time. You're running from confessing that sin. You're running from getting honest and right with God. You're running from something God has called you to do. Maybe you're running from the call of God upon your life. You're running from some step of obedience that God is inviting you into. You're running from giving. You're running from humbling yourself. You're running from forgiving. There's something in your heart that God wants you to do and you know it, but you're running from it. I'm burdened for you. Because it doesn't matter whether you loudly run from God or quietly run from God, the consequences are the same. And this text serves to just remind us once again of the consequences of taking those steps away from the Lord for whatever reason. Now the text begins the way so many texts begins. In verse 1 it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And we see this pattern over and over. You often have a phrase like this where the Lord comes and the Lord speaks and the Lord commands. And it's almost always followed by, And so, so and so rose and went. This is how it goes. The Lord said, do this, and then they do it. And that's why this one is so surprising because the Lord says, arise and go to Nineveh, the great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose, which would be the normal pattern, but it says Jonah rose to flee. He went to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, when you see Tarshish there, just read as far away from Nineveh as he could possibly go. And so if he started at this seaport of Joppa right here, if he would have gone east 500 miles, he would have gotten to where God had called him to go, to Nineveh. But instead, he went 2,500 miles west to Tarshish. Now, 3,000 miles is a long way to go, even in our terms. But in Jonah's terms, it's even further to go because he wasn't going by plane. He was getting on a boat that was going to make stop after stop after stop. He was literally going as far away as he could possibly conceive. This would have been known as the ends of the earth. Jonah wanted to go as far away as he could. I love the way the Jesus Storybook Bible says. It says that Jonah went to get one ticket to not Nineveh. That's what he did. He, he wanted one ticket to not Nineveh. What is the farthest I can get away from Nineveh? And that's exactly where he went. But look what's interesting. It says he was running from the presence of the Lord. It says it once in verse 3. And then again at the end it says he was running from the presence of the Lord. And even the sailors know later on in the chapter as we read that he's running from the presence of the Lord. Now that's a strange thing to do. Now... Jonah was a prophet. He knew the omnipresence of the Lord. I think more what he was trying to do is he was trying to get away from the call of God. He was trying to get away from the word of God. He was trying to get away from the command of God. He just didn't want to have anything more to do with God right now. And the only thing he needed to do is to pack up and to leave. And so he did. God asked him to do something he didn't want to do. And he got mad and went away. 
Now, it's important for us to have a right picture of Jonah right now. And we're going to get this more clearly in chapter 4, but it is important. We'll see this very clearly later, but we need to see it now. We need to understand the way in which Jonah is acting. And the best way I know to describe it is that Jonah is like a little child whose parents tell him he can't do something. And he's mad about it. And he's tired of his parents. And he's tired of living under this oppressive rule of mom and dad. And he decides he's leaving. And so he gets his backpack and he fills it with snacks and he gets a flashlight, maybe a pocket knife and some duct tape. And he just takes off because he's running away from home. And the parents kind of know that this probably won't go very far. And they kind of know what he's doing here because they've seen it before. But he decides that he's had enough and he's mad and he's walking away from home. And what a parent knows is what's really happening in that moment is the kid is pouting. He's just, he's just pouting because he's mad and he didn't get his way. You know, adults can pout too, right? You know, there's adult powders. I was in a store a couple of years ago and I saw a site that you've often seen and many of us have experienced. I go into an aisle and there's a mom who's got her little cart and there's a little boy who's on the floor and he is kicking and screaming and flailing and yelling. He wanted something that he didn't get, probably fruit snacks, I don't know. And so he's, he's just, he's throwing a fit. And she's trying to calm him down and it's not working. And then she tries to pick him up, but he went limp, you know. And so, you know how that is. And it's like picking up 60 pounds of dead weight is like extremely difficult. So it's just this and, and nothing's working and it's super embarrassing and she's embarrassed. And I just, I just looked at him and I, and I, thought, I had this thought. The only difference between that kid and me many times is that I'm just too tired and too proud to get on the floor and kick and scream. But I, I know how to pout. Like we still pout, Right. Uh, wives, let me ask you a question. How many of you have seen your husband pout? Raise your hand. Have you seen your husband pout? Boy, I know you have. Right? We all know how to pout. Turn to someone next to you and say, I can pout. You can. You can pout. We all know how to pout. Adult pouting is a very real thing. We just do it a little bit more sophisticated. Jonah right here is, is pouting. God simply asked him to do something he didn't want to do, and he decided to pout and run away. And like always, that decision led to a massive amount of chaos. And the chaos is really the rest of, of chapter 1. Jonah wants us to know the truth about running from God. I want you to write these things down. The first truth is this. You can't outrun the Lord. Get that down. You can't outrun the Lord. And so Jonah, in an attempt to run from the presence of the Lord, he gets on a boat. And the interesting thing is, is all of verse 3 tells us that he's going away from the Lord. And the last phrase there, he's getting away from the presence of the Lord. And we don't notice it as clearly in the English, but in the Hebrew, the word order is changed from how it normally is to make the first idea there in verse 4, the Lord. Because what it tries to communicate for the rest of this book is that every place Jonah goes, God's already there. And God is always one step ahead of Jonah. And so Jonah decides to, to run and get on a boat. And you know what? The Lord is there. And he gets thrown in the sea and the Lord is there. And every single place that Jonah goes, God is there because one of the primary themes of Jonah is that God is sovereignly orchestrating everything in this life. And so it was God who was the one, look at verse 4, that hurled a great wind upon the sea. 
And it was God who, and there's this word that comes up often, appointed, verse 17. It is God who appointed a fish to swallow him up. And it is God in chapter 4 who appointed a shade tree. And it is God who appointed a worm to then eat the shade tree. God is appointing everything because God is always one step ahead. And no matter where you go, the Lord is there. And the point is to help us to see the foolishness of trying to do what you're doing. The foolishness of trying to run away from the Lord. Psalm 139 says there is no place you can go away from the presence of God. Running from God is like not opening your bills and hoping they go away. Maybe if I don't open this, I don't have to pay. Maybe if I don't open up the account on my phone, there'll be more money there. Like, you know, you know this feeling. If I just ignore it, but listen... You cannot open your bills for a while, but eventually you're going to have to pay them. Keeping them closed doesn't make them go away. Let me tell you something. At some point, every human being is going to stand face to face with the living God. You can run and you can hide and you may spend your entire life running from God. But at some point, you will stand before God because 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the deeds that we have done in the body, whether good or bad. Every one of us will stand before God so you can't run forever from the Lord. You just can't outrun him. And the saddest thing to me would be is that you would run and run and run in hopes to get away from him and you would not stop running until you breathe your last breath. But then at the end, you would stand before the Lord and instead of getting his mercy, you would get his judgment because you'd rejected his mercy all the times you ran away. Listen to me, you can't outrun the Lord. The second one is this, you can't outrun the trouble. You can't outrun the trouble. Jonah's life becomes just this massive, big, dramatic mess. And the book of Jonah is this beautiful literary masterpiece in which all of these words are used to communicate. But one I want you to notice in verse 3 is the word down. This is intentional. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it. And then verse 5 says, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and he had lain down and was fast asleep. What it wants to communicate is that Jonah's life is spiraling down. He's not ascending to the presence of the Lord. He's not walking his straight path towards glory. He is going down. Every step he takes, he is spiraling more and more down. Saying to us that this is the direction you go when you choose to walk away from the Lord and then this interesting little phrase here where it says in verse 3, so he paid the fare. So not only is he going down, but this decision is costing him something. I mean, everything hinging on what it says in verse 3, Jonah made one decision to ignore the call of God. One decision to walk in the wrong direction, and he begins immediately to spiral down and down and down, all the way until he spirals down to the bottom of the sea, into the belly of the well, and it's costing him something. I heard Tony Evans say one time that when you choose to follow the will of God, he picks up the tab. But when you choose to run from God, you have to pick up the tab. It cost him something. And so his entire life is going into utter chaos. And I just think about the fact that God is the one, let's give him credit for this, that sends the storm in verse 4. God hurled the great wind, but who is the one who's caused all the trouble? Jonah caused the trouble. 
God sent the storm to show mercy upon Jonah. Jonah's the reason everything is going into chaos. And listen to me. Sometimes we have a tendency to blame other people, our circumstances, or maybe even the devil for our problems. And oftentimes, the reason you're in so much trouble is because you're running from God. Not all the time. Not every bit of trouble you have in your life is because you're running from God. God uses trouble in our life in so many different ways. Sometimes in a very kind and loving way, he puts a difficult circumstance in our life to bring us closer to him. So I will say that not every trouble is, called from running, is caused by running from God, but every time you run from God, you're headed for trouble. You are walking directly into a storm. You cannot outrun the trouble. Your life will spire downwards, and you will find yourself paying way more than you ever wanted to pay. And trouble will always follow the one who runs from God. You can't outrun the trouble. You also can't outrun the pain. You can't outrun the pain. What I see in this text is not only the pain that Jonah experiences, but the pain that Jonah causes. I kept thinking about verse 5. I, I really struggled with why it is that Jonah was asleep in the bottom of the boat. And, and it's so similar, and I think intentionally in some way, to that episode we see in Jesus when there's a massive storm and the disciples are furious and they don't understand why Jesus doesn't care. And the boat's about to tip over and Jesus is, I mean, uh, Jesus is just fast asleep. It doesn't even phase him. And I do believe there's an intentional connection there, but I think it's showing us the exact same thing, that Jesus was sleeping because he wasn't worried. Jonah was sleeping what the Puritans call the sleep of sorrow. He was filled with so much pain and so much guilt and so much shame and so much condemnation. He was sleeping in order that he might forget about it. You see this all throughout scripture. Psalm 51 talks about it. And then Psalm 32 says it very clearly. Psalm 32, listen to these words. It says this, blessed or happy. Happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. How happy is the one whose sins are forgiven. But listen to this. But when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as with the heat of summer. Now, I'm going to say something that is true. And I don't want you to say more than I'm saying, but you need to hear this because it's true. There are a lot of people who have a lot of physical problems. Depression, anxiety, headaches, nausea, that are caused by the fact that they're running from God. Now listen, I'm not saying all of those things are because you're running from God. I'm not saying that. There's a lot of other reasons. I will tell you this though, there are a lot of people who are experiencing a lot of physical problems because they're choosing to run from God. In Psalm 32, David speaks from his own experience and says, when I ran from God, it was as if every bit of strength I had was drained out of me. I had nothing left. And Psalm 51 tells us the exact same story. Because you can't outrun the pain. You were created to walk with God, to know him. And when you choose to go contrary to everything you were created for, it is bringing pain upon yourself. But it's not just the pain that Jonah experienced, it's the pain that Jonah caused. Did you notice when we read the story that here's these sailors that just were doing what they do, right? They got on a boat and they put their cargo on and then all of a sudden everything in their life is total chaos, 
It says in verse 4 that the ship threatened to break up. The ship was about to go down. And the mariners, it says in verse 5, were afraid. And they were crying out to their gods. And they began to hurl the cargo. It says at the end of verse 6, they knew that they were going to perish. And the rest of the chapter tells us how terrified they were at what was going on. And so all of a sudden, because Jonah decided to get on their boat, their boat is about to go down. It's not their fault. They had the wrong guy on their boat. And not only was it costing Jonah, think about what is it costing the sailors. Like they had brought cargo on the boat because they were delivering it from one place to the next. This is the way they made their living. And they were throwing it all overboard, all of their money going overboard. Why? Because they had the wrong guy on their boat. I want you to hear me clearly. Some of you are going to make a really bad decision if you're not careful to connect yourself with someone that's not walking with the Lord. And if you choose, and I'm thinking about our college students, our high school, middle school students, to connect yourself with someone that's not walking with the Lord, what happens is you get right in the middle of their storm. And you got to get off their boat. Because their life has chaos, and yours will be too. How many people have you known who have gotten trouble because they were with someone who was running from God? All these sailors are just, man, they're just doing their thing and the chaos ensues. And the reality is, is it's Jonah that's causing their pain. I kept thinking this week about an uncle on my dad's side who really was my dad's best friend, his brother. And um, they had a son that was addicted to drugs for over 20 years. It cost my cousin, this young man, a lot. It cost him an eye, he lost an eye because someone came after him for drug money. He lost teeth and he lost his wife and he lost his children and he lost his physical health. He just looked like a, a, a terrible physical picture of a man. He just kept losing more and more. But the thing I remember the most, because I, I was not around him that mo much, but what I remember the most is what he cost his parents. And I remember the times in which his parents would call my dad and they would be weeping and they would talk about the fact that their son was gone again and he had stolen the golf clubs to sell them for money and he'd stolen the jewelry and he'd sold them for, for drugs and, and the pain that they experienced because of the way in which their son was running from the Lord and all of a sudden you're just reminded that your running from God is not just your problem, it's bringing pain upon someone else. There's a lot of mom and dads out there. There's a lot of spouses that found themselves in the middle of a storm because someone they love is running from God. You have to be aware that not only are you walking into your own pain, you are taking other people with you, the pain that is caused by running from the Lord. The most amazing thing to me is, is that here's Jonah who has made this decision, it's a personal decision just by himself to run from God, and then he runs into trouble. He runs into pain. Everyone else is experiencing it. But listen, what's incredible to me is that every step of the way, there's still mercy. There's still mercy. There's just, there's mercy all over this book. There is mercy in God sending the storm, isn't there? There is mercy in, in God sending the sailors. There is mercy in Jonah receiving the salvation from the well to bring him up. There is mercy in every bit of this. Every place Jonah goes away from God, God's got mercy for him. And I want you to look, look real carefully at chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And notice the, the connection here. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. 
the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, city and call out against it. And what does Jonah do? He, he runs and all kinds of pain, all kinds of trouble, all kinds of chaos. Then he gets eaten by a well and he gets spit up. Actually, it says in chapter 2, verse 10, he gets vomited up on the dry land. I love that it says that. And then look at chapter 3. Chapter 3, he's vomited up. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. Look at me. You know the picture you get? The Lord just really gently and kindly just gave Jonah a command and Jonah decides to run. And so the Lord just waits and Jonah runs and runs in a circle. He just keeps running in a circle. And all around that circle is just this, this empty and meaningless trouble and pain. And he just runs and runs and runs. And finally, when he stops running, the Lord is still standing there. And the Lord tells him the exact same thing. It's almost as if the Lord said, hey man, you done? Like you done? Like, if you're done, we can, we can try this again. And it could have been that Jonah decided to run in more circles, and he just keeps running. And the Lord would be there saying, Lord, Jonah, are you done? The Lord has the exact same command. And so listen, you can choose to run from God, but what are you doing? You're just running in a circle and experiencing more pain and trouble and heartache. And at the end, the Lord will be there with the same offer of mercy. And there will be a day in which you might run so far that you come to the end and you have yet not received or seen the mercy of God extended to you. But I assure you, listen, by the fact that you are here this morning and hearing my voice, there is mercy for you no matter how many laps you've done around the track of running from God. There is mercy for you. There is mercy. And the only thing you have to do is stop running and come to the Lord. There was a lot of mercy in the story of the prodigal son. When the son shamed his father publicly and spent all of the money and ended up with no money in a pigsty, listen, that's mercy. It's mercy that God would allow this young man to spend everything he had and wake up here one day. And here's what he thought. He thought, I just wonder if I went back home, if my dad would let me be a servant. I wonder. Like, I know I'm never going to be a son again. And, and so I just, I wonder if I could get, get back up, if he would let me be a servant. And so he decides to get up and he humbles himself and he takes that long walk back to his father's house and he's ashamed and he's practicing his speech. Uh, father, I know I can't be a son anymore, uh, but I'd like to be a servant. And he's practicing and he wonders how his father is going to receive him. And then all of a sudden, as he gets a little close to home, he sees a silhouette in the distance. And there's a man and he's running and he doesn't know who it is. But the closer he gets, he realizes that it's his father. And his father is running as fast as he can. And he doesn't ask for any excuses. He doesn't want to know the story. He just opens his arms and he welcomes the son home. He puts a new robe on him and a ring on his finger to say, listen, you are still my son. Because the only thing the prodigal son had to do is to make his way back home. And mercy was waiting. Now think about my aunt and uncle. And I think about all the sleepless nights and all the cost of their son's rebellion and everything that happened. But at the end of the day, the only thing they wanted is for their son to come home. And they would have forgotten everything and they would have forgiven anything. They would have said, I don't want to talk about it. All we want is you home. And the only thing the Lord wants from you is he wants you home. He doesn't need all your excuses. He just wants you home. And he's waiting there with one simple question. Are you done? Are you ready to just trust and follow me? Are you ready to believe that my way is best? Are you ready to choose to go my direction? Do you believe that the only life worth living is a life with Jesus Christ? 
So I'm going to ask you this morning, if you are running from God openly, if you are running from God quietly, if you've been tempted to run from God, I am asking you right now in this place today to stop running and come home and experience the mercy of God. I'm going to ask you in a minute when we stand and sing to turn to someone next to you and simply say, I'm tired of running. Would you come with me and pray with me? I'm asking for you to step out and come and let one of our pastors and prayer partners here welcome you. And you just say, I'm tired of running. I don't know what to do next. And we'll talk to you about what's next. I'm asking you to come and get on your knees and say, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to run anymore. I'm coming home. All I'm asking you to do is to stop running and find the mercy of God. Because he's ready and he's waiting. Let's bow our head and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.